Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. Start with a question. Where, where do you live? Where do you call home? I mean, most of us sort of take it for granted. We, we know where we live. We, we know how to get there almost blindfolded. Jesus, during his ministry, said, I don't have a home. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man, he has nowhere to lay his head. And when you think about that, it's interesting. I mean, born, came in the womb of an unmarried woman. Born in a, a, a borrowed stable, really. Grew up, but... As he became a man, there's no record of Jesus in his ministry going home. Oh, he went to the region of Nazareth, but even in the synagogue, he was hated and almost pushed over a cliff. No home, really, of his own. And and if you ever travel, and I'm sure many of you do, uh, you know what it's like to, to be away for a while especially you guys who are in the military, and you just want to go home. You just want to lay in your own bed, you know, feel, feel the, the, your, your, your pillow. I know some of you take your pillow with you. God bless you. I love seeing people in the airport with their pillows, I think. I'm not going to comment. Um, but, you know, your own refrigerator where you have stuff in there that you like home. And being away for a week or, or, or quite a while, there's this, this sort of thing in you that, man, I can't wait to get home. And I believe that one way we experience going home is when we come to Christ and we, for the first time in our life, find real healing and real acceptance and unconditional love. In fact, when I have the privilege of praying with someone who's come to Christ, at the end of the prayer, I always say something like this, and Lord, today I come home to you. Because it is, it's coming home. In the book of Second John that we're taking our time and going verse by verse through, I believe that we have a demonstration, an example, or you could say, uh, a sense of coming home as we talk about his love and being a part of a a fellowship together, loving one another. And a sense has an expression of, hey, I'm at home, I'm with with family. How how do you know if, if someone believes, if someone embraces truth? The Bible says they demonstrate it, well, not by great preaching, not by knowledge of the Bible, although that could be part of it, not by having a cool website or some media site that people go to or an amazing facility. The the way you know that someone is a genuine believer and follows truth is by love. That's what the scripture says. See, Belief can be faked. 
Oh, yeah, I believe. I believe. Really, do you? I mean, confession can, can just be of the lips. But love is pretty hard to counterfeit. After a while, you know if it's real or not. After a while, you know if it's genuine or not. I mean, love is what the Father requires. It tells us, in, for, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone whose love is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So God requires it. To demonstrate true belief in Him, to demonstrate true connection with Him. Love is what the Son demonstrated or manifested. It tells us in the Scripture that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus came and demonstrated the Father's love. And love is available or made possible through the Holy Spirit. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He is in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Genuine truth, real belief, finds its valid expression in love. Walking in truth and love. Let's pick up our story in 2 John and we're going to go to Verse 5. We've been there, but we're going to finish and start. In verse 5. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Did you know that 13 times in the New Testament, we find that phrase, love one another. Ten of them are penned by, well, by the writer of this letter, John. Ten times he'll not just say love, but he uses that expression, love one another. John is called the apostle of love. He's the one we know in uh, that last Passover meal was, was leaning on the chest of Jesus. He described himself as the one whom Jesus loves. And, and there's a reason that this phrase, and I think especially from John's connection with the other disciples and his relationship with people and now writing this at a very, well, very mature age, he says, love one another. And I think the reason is, is because we can be so different. I mean, think about all the disciples that John rubbed shoulders with. They were so, so different. And they annoyed one another. And here's the thing. Love one another because we annoy one another. Have you ever noticed that? We really do. And we can be misunderstood by each other. I like to tell this story about my wife and I when we were 
we've, we've built four houses, lived in six, remodeled two, and in the midst of it, we never annoyed one another. <laughs> yes, we, we annoyed one another all the time in that process. And one time we were redoing this bathroom, and, and she wanted the bathroom. This is about seven years ago. She wanted the bathroom to be pale yellow. So, okay, we got to paint it pale yellow. So I picked out paint. We painted a wall, had someone paint it. I can't paint at all. And they, they painted the wall. I brought Lynn in there. She goes, no, that's not pale yellow. I go, it looks pale yellow. The painter thinks it's pale yellow. No, it's not pale yellow. All right, all right. So went and got another paint. Painted the same wall. Well, while that wall was being painted, Lynn was at the dentist having some work done. And she came in. She had, you know, all Novocaine up. And we're in there. I says, what do you think? She goes, it's not pale yellow. <laughs> I go, it is pale yellow. It's not pale yellow. I said, okay, we're going to Lowe's, and you're going to pick it out. I mean, it was like I was, I, was, I was annoyed. So we're in the car. We're on our way down there, and, and I'm not saying a word. I'm just like, okay, we're gonna, she's going to pick out the paint. It's going to be pale yellow, and it's going <laughs> to be done. So we're driving down the street, and she asked me this question. Do you have any feelings? I thought, what? She's picking a fight. Do I have any feelings? Well, with the Novocaine, she was trying to say fillings. She was trying to say fillings. Do you have any, you have any feelings? And I'm like, I'm just like ready to, you know, go after her. And, and finally I understand that she's saying fillings. And I go, yeah, I've got some feelings. Look, but we annoy one another and we misunderstand one another. And so John says, love one another. And over and over again, you see it through Scripture. Not just if you're of the same political party. Not just if you like the same TV shows or root for the same sport teams. Love one another. Easy to say. Difficult, right, to do. The great chapter of love, you know it, I know it, is is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. This is a, a powerful chapter. It goes on in the second verse, as though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries. I have all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am what does it say? Nothing. I mean, think about that. The expression of love is a true demonstration of a relationship with Christ beyond gifts of power. Oh, I can prophesy. I can perform miracles. I can do all of this. But hey, if I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. The focus of the New Testament, it's love. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. I mean, who would do that if they didn't love? It says, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Why would someone give all they have? I mean, some people give like Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, here I'm giving. Oh, here I'm serving. But maybe it's just pride. Look at me. 
Look what I've done. Without love, without the right motivation, he says that it, it, it profits nothing. And then it goes on to kind of, not define, but to describe love a little bit. And just want you to listen. Love suffers long. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked easily. It thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love one another. And you know how this works. You know, people say, well, put your name in there. You know, this, this, this simple little description of, and, and you can go by just verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. John suffers long and is kind. He never envies. He's not puffed up. He doesn't behave rudely. I, I, I tank immediately in that. Talk to my wife. Oh, I can be nice to you guys, but I don't live with you. <laughs> but if you put Jesus' name in there, it works pretty good, doesn't it? Jesus suffers long. Jesus is never rude. He thinks no evil. I, I love this translation I, I found in the Scripture. It's the... J.B. Phillips, I don't know if you ever read that translation. I'll just read a couple of parts of it. It says, if I speak with the eloquence of men and angels, but have no love, I become no more than a blaring brass or crashing cymbal. If I have the gift of foretelling the future and hold in my mind not only all human knowledge, but the very secrets of God, and if I have the absolute faith which can move mountains but no love, well, I don't amount to anything at all. If I dispose of all that I possess, yes, even if I give my own body to be burned, I don't have love. I achieve precisely nothing. The love I speak of is slow to lose patience. It looks for a way of being constructive. It's not possessive. It's neither anxious to impress, nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. Love has good manners. It doesn't pursue selfish advantage. It's not touchy. It doesn't keep account of evil or gloat over the wickedness of other people. On the contrary, it's glad when all good men with truth prevails. It knows no limits to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. In fact, the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen is love. It's a lot easier, isn't it, to love God than it is others. People are not always lovable. You know anybody who's not always lovable? You're not always lovable. Right? I mean, you and I are not always lovable. Uh, we don't always feel love. And love's not necessarily emotion, although there's emotion tied to it. I mean, let's say 
Lynn and I have a strong discussion one afternoon. And she says something to me hurtful, sarcastic, or just mean. I don't know if your spouse, has your spouse ever said anything to you hurtful, sarcastic, or mean? Let's say that just happens. How do you respond? Do you say, Lynn, just open your heart. Say whatever's on your mind. I just want to hear it. No, deep inside you're thinking, let's take this outside. (laughs) 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 Because love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not just emotion. And so John, as as he's talking about loving one another, he's trying to define how it's expressed, what it looks like. It's easy to say, I believe. It's easy to say, uh, I know the truth. But how does it demonstrate it? In verse 6, he says, this is love. And he starts getting to where the rubber meets the road here, that we walk, and that's connected to lifestyle, that we walk according to his commandment. And this is the commandment, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And he's talking about love. There's truth. Listen, there's love. There's belief. And now he adds this one, and he says it's obedience by keeping the commandments. So, so there's truth, there's love, there's belief, but it finds itself expressing itself genuinely as we obey. The actual demonstration by choice to obey, to walk, so to speak, is to walk out the truth and love. Some people say things like, oh, I love God. I love Jesus, but I still do drugs. Illegal ones. Well, doesn't the scripture say not to? Oh, oh, I, I, I love God. I love Jesus. But I'm still involved in sex outside of marriage with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Well, then love obeys his commandments. Oh, I know, but I, I love the Lord, I, but I do whatever I want to. <laughs> That's not love. No, love according to, to truth is seen and obedience. That's how it's demonstrated. See, walk here, the word walk here denotes lifestyle. Walk the walk, you've heard it. Don't just talk the talk. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Oh, I love God. Yeah, I love his word, but, but, but I just hear it. I don't do it. Then you're deceived. And, and that's this whole concept that John's trying to get across. And he's got a reason for it because there's things coming into the church that are deceptive at that time. And he's trying to find what true obedience looks like and how love is demonstrated. We're called to walk. Walk denotes progress. Heading in a direction. Walk is growing. It's maturing. When a child stops crawling and, 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 and begins to stand and begins to walk, say, hey, they're, they're moving forward. They're walking. And this is the concept he has here. Not drifting around. 
not meandering. Now, this may just be pertinent to guys, and it's not meant to be chauvinistic, but uh, when the bridge was open, I used to go to the mall with my wife once in a while. And usually she said, why, why are we going? That's my first question. Why are we going? <laughs> well, I need to get this, or I want to buy that. But she would always want to start at one end and just meander. There might be a better price down at so I said, well, how much better could it be? I'm willing to suffer the extra price. But we would meander. We would drift through the mall. Guys usually, I need shoes. Find them, boom, we're out. It's different. Drifting. Not really going anywhere. Just wandering. In the scripture, when it's, when it's, when it's speaking about love and, and, and walking, it, it, it's, it's, you're going somewhere. You're, you're maturing. You're, 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 and this is why he says this. As you look at verse 7, it says, For many deceivers... And this is an important part, and we step into now the second part of Second John. It says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, this group that he's speaking of, at least one of them during that time, was a group called the Gnostics. And they were infiltrating the church and were bringing... Well, they were bringing strange doctrine and strange teachings. And one of the deceptions of that time and that day was that Jesus did not come in a human body. That flesh and material things were evil. So Jesus could not have had a material body. They denied that God came in the flesh. The truth of the incarnation. That's why in 1 John 1, 1, you, you would have the, this verse, that which was from the beginning, we heard him, we've seen him with our eyes, we have looked upon him, our hands have handled him. That's why John starts it that way, because he's, he's dealing with that deception that he wasn't really in the... No, we, we touched him, we heard him, we saw him, we were with him. And also in 1 John 4, 3, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. John, throughout these epistles, dealing with this Gnostic thing, is not of God. And that which is of the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard, was coming and is now in the world. So John's still dealing with it in Second John. And he's talking about this whole deception that's come into the church. For many deceivers have gone out, verse 7, into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. So the deception is, he never came in the flesh, and if that's true, then he'll never return again in bodily form in the flesh or in his resurrected body. But we know according to Acts chapter 1, as they were standing there looking at... In the sky, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go. So they're, they're trying to turn Jesus into some kind of mystical experience and not flesh and blood. That God didn't come as a man and die on the cross. And John's combating that. And in the midst of that, 
he's trying to show us the importance of truth and how it's demonstrated in love. Look to yourselves, verse 8, that we do not lose the things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Now, in verse 8, when he says, we do not lose those things which we worked for, but that we might receive a full reward. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the life that you have in Christ, the fellowship you have with the Lord, the, the fellowship you have with one another, the quality of life that's based on that, to not lose that by drifting off into false teachings, getting stuck in something that's not of the Lord and, and not real. And, and now please tune in. He, so he mentions... Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. We, we have this word mentioned in verse 9. And he mentions it twice there. And it's the word doctrine. Doctrine. Doctrine is, is, is truth. It's very important. And it basically just means sound Biblical truth or teaching based on Scripture taken in context. Doctrine. That which is sound and true. Balanced. And if it's obeyed, it leads to life. And this is John's focus right now. So, so stay awake. Listen for just a moment. If balanced, sound truth is obeyed, it leads to life in Christ and it demonstrates itself in obedience and love. This is the gist of the second epistle of John. And some people say, well, I don't, I don't need to know the Bible. I don't need to know the truth. I don't need doctrine. I'm just going to practice the golden rule. I've heard this. Love people. Love one another. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I don't need church or doctrine. I'm just going to love people. Well, that's kind of like saying this. Let's say you break your leg. Or, or better yet, let's say you need a heart transplant. And you've got to go have it done. And there's two doctors you can choose from. They're both loving. They're both caring. They're both very empathetic. And they both seem like they're real doctors. Well, they are. One actually graduated from medical school, and he's a heart surgeon, and he's done thousands of them. The other one also graduated from medical school, but he's never practiced medicine. He got a psychology degree, nothing wrong with that, and he just smokes pot and gives flowers to people. He's loving. But he's never really practiced medicine. Now, who do you want to get help from? The one who knows real medical process or the pot smoker with the flowers? They both have medical degrees. They're both loving. They're both doctors. Well, here's my point. If you believe the truth and love the Lord, 
You need to know his truth to live the life he designed you to live. Doctrine's important. Instruction's necessary. It's like getting right directions to go from here to Atlanta. If I told you, oh, just, just get on I-10 and head east, fast as you can go. Well, you're not going to end up in Atlanta. You're going to end up in Jacksonville. If, if you don't have sound truth, if you don't have doctrine, you can't live the life that God's called you to live because he's given certain instructions and certain truth that we're called to obey, not to just go to heaven, but to experience real life in Christ here on earth. And that's why John says, hey, hey, uh, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, well, he doesn't have God. He's got something else he's been taught. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son because the truth, well, they're tied together, Father and Son. It's about eternal destination, yes, but it's also about a spiritual heart transplant, and you want to get the truth when that occurs. The, the word, look at verse 9, whoever transgresses. And the word transgresses is a very important word in this passage. It means anyone who goes beyond the truth. See, the deception here was the Gnostic belief that went beyond what God had said and what had been taught to them by the apostles, by John, by that which was the emerging New Testament. They were going beyond the truth and dabbling in all kinds of mystic things. Not content with Scripture, not content with doctrine. They wanted extra biblical revelation and you find a lot of that in the world today through, through just uh, teachers and prophets that don't align with solid truth. Now, now, now tune in, not content with knowledge of the Scripture. I want more. Not, not experiencing or expressing or demonstrating those things found in the Bible. And sometimes it's spoken of like, well, I just need, you know, and I crave deeper, mysterious, super spiritual. Uh, a believer who's walking in love and obedience has a desire to know the Scripture. Now, now stay with me. Be careful that you don't develop the idea that I need more than this. Oh, you've mastered this? Yeah, I need more than this. We all have, and, and, and I want to bring this into the, the dialogue or the monologue, we all have, I believe, a craving and a desire for more of the Lord. David said it like this in Psalm 42. He said, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. And that desire, that pant, that, that, you know, thirst, so to speak, sometimes if we're not careful, can draw us into places and teachings and things of people who don't have sound doctrine. And what they try to get you to express and do 
is based on a genuine heart's desire to do it as the deer pants for the water brook. I mean, I want to experience and, and, and have all that God has for me. But be careful of those who go beyond, who the word here is transgress. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine, be careful of those who go beyond what God has given us to do and given us to be. That's what he's saying. Because that was happening. And it was happening then. And in many circles it happens today. I came out of uh, Assemblies of God. I was not a Christian at all. I, I jumped around to all these churches in my early days trying to figure out where do I fit, what's real. And I can tell you, I've seen some crazy stuff. I went to a Pentecostal Bible college where I saw guys casting demons out of Coke machines because they didn't get the correct change. I said, I'd just talk to the dean if I were you. He, he can straighten that out. And John gets intense here. Look at verse 10. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, he's going beyond, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. Say, John, where's the love, dude? You're talking all about love. John says, don't sow hospitality to enemies of the truth. Now, now I want you to hear this is a warning to be careful of opening your life to cults and false doctrinal groups. You can be loving, you can be polite, you can be kind. But I do want to give this caveat to this passage that in those days, in that time, if someone comes to you and does not bring, do not receive him into your house. Predominantly, well, almost in every case in that day and time, the local church met in houses. And so I think what he's really saying here is be careful of those false teachers and those who have false doctrine, who've gone beyond, come into your church, and their motivation is to deceive, is to spread false doctrine. I'll never forget one time we had a connect group or a house group or home group, we called them in those days, that met over here in Tiger Point. And I would kind of drift around and visit different groups at different times. And I kept hearing about this one guy who was coming to this one group. And I'd say, well, who is he? He said, oh, well, he just comes to the group. He doesn't come to church. I go, oh. He said, boy, but he really knows the Bible. I said, really? Cool. So, so I came, and I'm listening, and he really didn't know the Bible. Now, most of the people in that group didn't know the Bible very well either. And I listened to his, some of his teaching. I thought, wow, this is off track. And then I asked the leader of the group, so is anything weird going on with this guy? He goes, well, he's a lot older than us, and he, he sometimes takes the group and he leads it. And I go, really? I said, but he doesn't come to the church at all. No, he doesn't. He, he doesn't. And he's been inviting some of the couples in the church to his house for dinner. Really? How's that going? Well, what I found out was that he actually has a church in his house, and he says every city should only have one church, and that his church is that church for this city. And then all these antennas went up and emotions, and, and so I showed up, and I talked to the guy. I said, well, you know, that's false doctrine. And, he's, and he had already gotten two of the uh, people, a young couple, to start attending his church and saying it's the only true church in all of Pensacola. So I said, we got to stop this guy. 
he's, he's a deceiver. So I showed up again the next week, and I talked to the host, and I'm standing at the door, and he, he's coming up with all these Bibles and stuff. And I said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And he said, sure. And I said, uh, you're no longer welcome at this group. He goes, you don't live here. I said, no, neither do you, dude. He goes, so you're saying I can't? I said, well, I talked to the host, and he says, you're no longer. I said, some of the things you're teaching just aren't biblical. You've already pulled one couple out of the group. I don't think your intentions here are good. And he got all angry and mad. And I said, well, all I can say is the host has asked me to tell you to maybe find another place. To f-. He was driving from way over in West Pensacola to this little home group in Tiger Point to proselyte people. So as a shepherd... As, as a leader, I had to do the hard thing, and that was to say, you, you're not Little Red Riding Hood's grandmother. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing. And this is what John's doing. He said, whoever goes beyond that doesn't abide in the doctrine, then don't let them in the church to continue to deceive. And there's a fine line. You've got to figure figure that out. You got to figure that out with with their motivation, their intention, their teaching. See truth is tied to obedience and to love. And we have to protect. Having many things to write to you, John says in verse 12. I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. A lot of stuff to write to you, John says. And, and, and I love this part of this verse here, this, this passage in Second John. He says, real joy and what I need to express can't be done through paper and ink. I need to be with you face to face. And, you know, I don't have my phone on me, but we, we FaceTime our daughter a lot with her two little boys. She's got two little beautiful little boys, Grant and Reed. And we, we talk to them all the time. But it pales to being there face-to-face, right? I mean, I, I love seeing them and talking to them, and they're drifting around doing all kind of crazy stuff. But, but it's a whole different thing watching online are on the phone that it is being there with Jenny, her husband John, and the two boys. And, and, and this is what he's saying. I, I love writing and sharing my heart with you, he says, and having many things. I, I, did not, I don't want to do it on paper. I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Real joy comes face-to-face. And I I think that's true of heaven one day, right? One day we see him face-to-face. I I love to read the Bible. I love great Bible studies. I love worship times. I love coming to church. I love being involved in missions. I I love all that kinds of stuff that has to do with ministry and serving the Lord. But nothing's going to be like the full joy of one day seeing him face-to-face. Our joy will be full. I mean, I remember when we first started the whole COVID thing, and we would come up here, and they would have the camera, and you'd be teaching, 
and uh, it's all going to be online, and there's no one sitting out there. It wasn't fun. I would tell a corny joke, and no one laughed. <laughs> it was just silent. How much more amazing is it going to be? I mean, we come in, we worship, we can't see the Lord, we, we can't see any reactions from Him, we can sense His presence, we know He's here, but what's it going to be like one day just to see Jesus face to face? It's going to be awesome. He says, the children of your elect sister greet you, amen. So, so John demonstrates for us through truth that love is seen through obedience. And a part of obedience is having good doctrine so that you can obey rightly and be careful of those who want to take you beyond what Scripture has to say. And even if it means you have to disfellowship with them, he says it's right to do. Not that you're mean. Not, you know, we live in such a, a politically correct era of our country that, that you're deemed a hater if you even disagree with anyone these days. Or that if a person wants to consider something they do as their identity and you say, well, I don't agree with what you do. Well, you're a hater. No, I'm, I don't hate you. And I don't see you as what you do. I see you as a person. Now, an example with that would be, and maybe I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but Neil's taken over anyway, so I can do this. <laughs> the whole area of homosexuality. I don't define people by their sexual activity. They're a person. You know, I don't define someone as, oh, well, you're, you're, you're an adulterer. Well, you're a person who cheated on your wife, and you need to get your life back together or vice versa. The, the sexual activity isn't who you are. It's something you do. It's an activity. You're a person who God loves, we love. Every, and and if, if you say you disagree with that lifestyle, it doesn't mean I hate you any more than I hate somebody who, who breaks into my house and steals something. It's not their identity. It's an action. And John is saying, hey, we don't hate the person, but the action of going beyond this doctrinal teaching, they're deceiving, and we need to be careful of that because if we receive wrong doctrine, wrong teaching, wrong input, then we won't experience the life that God has called us to experience based on truth because you can't walk in love if you don't have truth. And you can't have real truth and real belief if you don't follow that truth by expressing it in obedience. And John says, boy, I've got so much more to say to you than this, but I want to see you face to face. And, you know, I think maybe Jesus would say that to us. There's so much more I want to say to you, but where do I see you face to face? And I think that's our great hope. And I think we're looking forward to that. And I would say this in closing. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.